0: all right hi friends welcome back to the one in 26 podcast it's been a little bit of time but today i have a special guest her name is tiffany and we have both been advocates for several years now. So it's really exciting for us to be on the same uh, wavelength and having this coffee chat today. So I am gonna let Tiffany kind of take it away and share her story. So Tiffany, share with us how old were you when you were diagnosed with epilepsy and or when was your first seizure?
1: Hi, well, thank you, first of all, for having me on your program. (laughs) So glad to be here. I had my first seizure when I was 16. It was a tonic-clonic seizure. Um, It was out of the blue in the middle of the night. Um, That was a really scary moment, especially for my sister. We shared a bedroom, so... Yeah. And then uh, they placed me on medication. I didn't have another seizure for six years until I was 22 years old. Um, I happened to be driving my car and my vision just completely vanished. And I crashed my car into a tree and uh, they ran a bunch of tests and determined that I ultimately did have epilepsy. So I was placed on a bunch of medications and was given the download that I, I would be experiencing all kinds of different uh, symptoms um, due to the medication, of course, and uh, the you know, seizures. So that was definitely a life changer for not only myself, but my husband as well, because I was a newlywed at the time. We were only
0: married for four months. I'm sure that was so scary too. So you had a tonic-clonic when you were driving, is that what they, so you, so you, to you, your perception was you, you lost your vision. Um, Mm -hmm. But I guess you can say that you blacked out as you do when, with most tonic-clonics. What type of medicine did they put you on when you had your seizure in, in high school?
1: Well they put me on uh the typical medication that a person would have if you have your first seizure, which is dilantin. Um so that helped me to really uh cap the seizure for you know the six years, you know.
0: Awesome.
1: Um, but I was only placed on that medication for about six months. That's you know, um all that it took to stop the seizure.
0: That's interesting. It's so different for every person, you know, I mean, I, when I had seizures, when I was little, I was on trileptal. And then as an adult, I was on Keppra. So it's so interesting to hear the types of medicine that's given and the different type of protocol, um, because I have tonic clonics as well. So it's just, it's just interesting Mm -hmm. to, do they know why do they have an idea of why you had a breakthrough seizure after six years? That is just in.
1: It's a mind blower. Yeah, nobody knows (laughs) mind, so to speak. (laughs) You know, they did just a a whole gambit of tests. I've gone through so many different tests, and they can't determine why I had that breakthrough seizure, or just uh, epilepsy in general. They know the location of where my seizures are um, at, but they still can't determine why. Gotcha. And I'm having them.
0: Hmm. Were you ever a candidate for VNS or surgery or anything like that?
1: I am a candidate for the RNS and the VNS. Um, I had the um, SED procedure done. I was in the hospital for um, about 21 days having that procedure done. um, And it was ultimately determined that I am not a candidate for brain surgery. But those options were still made available to me, but I'm not yet ready to commit to something like that. It's something that I'm still letting sit on the table until I can really think about because that is a pretty big commitment.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So for someone listening who isn't aware of what an S-E-E-G is, I think- the newly diagnosed w- would have an idea of what an EEG e- is, but yes. the S in front of that, could you explain what, what does that S mean? Oh, that is a big word.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a stereo encephalogram. So they place, um, electrodes within the brain, um, okay. surgically. So, um, it's something that, you know, it, you're really going to want to talk to your doctor about, uh, have a long conversation and don't just rush into making that decision. Just really take time to think about it, learn about it. And, um, you know, because this is something that can determine whether or not you're a candidate for brain surgery.
0: Yeah. So typically the EEG is done before. That's one of the tests that they do be if, You would like brain surgery? Is that pretty protocol? Okay,
1: pretty much. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was pretty much one of those. You know, um, I'm ready to just take that leap. I'm ready to, you know, because I have what's known as refractory epilepsy, which I have gone through countless medications, and um, all of them just will not manage my seizures, will not stop my seizures. So, I was ready to just just. find out, am I a candidate for brain surgery? And so I was, I, you know, I walked up to my husband and I said, I think I'm ready to find out.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, knowledge is power. I know with a lot of people who are newly diagnosed, they are searching for those answers, whether it's genetic testing or the cert, if they're a candidate for surgery or, you know, why is this medicine not working or what, you know, why do I have to try all these different things or why do you not know why I have it? So yeah, I think knowledge is if you can educate yourself on, you know, and like you said, it's really important to talk to your doctor because every case is so different. Um, Yeah, but I do appreciate you sharing your experience. Um, So when you when you were first married and you had that seizure, was your husband aware of your seizure history?
1: You know, I did let him know about my first seizure and, you know, he was okay with that. You know, he loved me as I am. We did not anticipate my seizures coming back. I thought that was just a, you know, a one-time thing. Right. And, um, when the second seizure happened, um, the paramedic just called him and said, your wife is still breathing. Don't worry. And he just freaked out like, what do you mean she's still breathing? Like, is she okay? What happened? Because they didn't tell him, did I break my leg? Did I break my neck? You know, so it was really scary
0: for both of us. It yeah, really was. I imagine. But yeah. <laughs> Especially driving. That's scary. Oh, um, yeah. Because you have refractory is that refractory? Is that how you say it? Um, are you, were you able to start driving again or how is that? I, you
1: know, they let me keep my license. My okay. doctor, um, my doctor pretty much told me that he advised me that I shouldn't drive. And I agreed with him and I haven't driven since that, you know, episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah but I hold on to it just in case, just in case, you know,
0: right. Right. And you got to do what's best for you. I mean, everybody's so different. You have to do what's best for you in your situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So how, let's just fast forward a little bit. So from the date of your breakthrough seizure at 22, how, well, at that time, were you aware of anybody else that had seizures before? I knew
1: absolutely nobody,
0: not a single soul. (laughs) Yeah. I'm the same way. It was, I was telling another friend or guest, I can't remember what, but back then, you know, Facebook was only for college use. Yeah. Um, Instagram didn't exist (laughs) and, um, blogs didn't exist. Yeah. Um, I think the only, and it was probably years after that the Epilepsy Foundation started a forum, which was Mm -hmm. like an online website chat. I don't know if you remember that,
1: but that's where I,
0: you don't, it might've been before, but that was when I, it it had been a few, like at least three years before I met my first person um, that had epilepsy. And it was at the, the, um, I used to live in Virginia, like really close to Washington DC. So that was, we all met at the walk, the national epilepsy walk. Um, okay.
1: I've been there a few times.
0: Yeah. So it, but I mean, it was years later, so I don't know about you, but I felt super isolated, super like a burden, super weird. Oh. It was, yeah. it was not a fun time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, yeah, I under, I hear you. I fell into the deepest depression I think I'd ever felt in my whole life.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh. Coming out of it, you know, with, with tonic clonics, you don't know that you have the seizure until you wake up from it. And then you're mm-hmm. kind of like trying to put back all the pieces know whether it's checking your phone to see like when's the last text message or last phone call so you can see how long you were blacked out i have like you i have seizures at night so um yeah for the most it's very scary so i can totally totally relate to that so (laughs) how um so after you've had seizures again, and I said, how often do you have the seizures since you said yours aren't controlled with medicine?
1: Well, I do have the tonic-clonic seizures, and I also have the complex partial seizures. Those I have pretty much every single day, multiple times a day. And it depends. Sometimes I'll have a good day where I'll maybe have like five to 10 and on a bad day, I'll have like 10 or more a day, which is pretty annoying, sometimes frustrating.
0: <laughs> yeah. So ex- can you explain to the listeners what does a complex partial seizure feel like, like from your point of view?
1: Okay, I was gonna say I, I know that everybody's experience is different with complex partial seizures. Um, but so I'll just speak from for myself. Um I go blind in my right eye and sometimes, not always, I will lose the ability to speak, but I'm still able to hear. I'm still able to walk around and do my everyday things, but I just, I'm blind and I'm unable to speak sometimes. So I have to wait for about mm, 10 seconds for it to pass until I can just go back to doing what I was doing again. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So do you, so do you think that that's what happened in your car accident? Cause you said that you felt like you went blind.
1: I, you know what, to be honest with you, I don't think so because when I was in um, the ambulance, my head felt like someone just had whacked me with a brick yeah, and is, usually, yeah, usually that's how you feel after you have a seizure, you have like a
0: gigantic headache. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That posticle phase can last a long time with the splitting oh, headache. Yeah. Some people, it takes up to a week for me. I don't feel right for like a week. It's like a, every time it's like, a, it's like a doozy. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Oh, yeah cool. So it's, um. And again, it is different for every single person, but yeah, it's nice to know (laughs) just an idea of what, you know, what it could be. Because when you first started having those complex partials, did you know that's what they were?
1: I didn't. I mean, you know, as time went on throughout my journey, I began to learn as I researched, you know, uh, it's one of those things where you know, your doctor doesn't always tell you this stuff. I had terrible doctors in the beginning and I had to fire them and hire them and fire them and hire them. But you just have to take, you know, the ball in your hands and just do your own research. Yeah. (laughs) And I encourage that. Do your own homework, research yourself. For sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. And there's been many neurologists that I was not a fan of, but, um, definitely ask all the questions in the world. Don't feel like you're a burden. It's their job no. to answer your questions. Yeah. Um, if you get a it's weird your body, feeling, your body, if you get a <laughs> weird feeling, your brain, there's, there's always another neurologist. There's plenty yes. of them. And I also suggest if you're located close to one, find an epitologist that is near an epilepsy, an epilepsy center, because to have those resources to get those tests is super important. Right. Um, Yeah. I mean, I personally have never had an extended EEG or a hospital stay besides Mm -hmm. the, um, besides just going into the EMU and getting them. When I was pregnant with my third, I had an EEG every single month. Um mm-hmm. but ever since then, because um, your hormones change so much when you're pregnant, so then your, your mm-hmm. epitologist wants to make sure your um, your hormo- hormones don't mess with the medicine, so you mm-hmm. don't have a breakthrough seizure, blah, blah blah. So but, yeah. they were really short EEGs. They weren't, especially when I was pregnant with a big old belly, I couldn't lay down for very long. So I think at one point they <laughs> I were bet. like 10 to 15 minutes, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. like in and out, but um, yeah, I think it's important just to say again, that it's, uh, it's okay to ask questions. And if you need to get other opinions, you can do that for sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So when you, um, after like after you were diagnosed, like, I know that you are super involved in advocating and sharing your story. And, um, when did, when did you decide to publicly talk about your epilepsy, like on social media, or did you have a blog at one point, or how did that, how did that happen? Well, um,
1: the seizure, uh, and diagnosis happened in, uh, 2008. And it took me about two years to really get my footing because I was just a mess emotionally. And, you know, um, once I got that footing again and I had that support from family and friends and especially God, um, I began a blog and I began to tell my story. And that's when I discovered the power of Facebook. (laughs) And I discovered the power of online support groups. And I met a slew of amazing people affected by epilepsy, parents, patients, uh, husbands, wives, so on and so forth. And that inspired me to want to create my very own online support group, which eventually developed into what is now known as the Epilepsy Network.
0: Awesome, so can you share a little bit more about the Epilepsy Network?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the Epilepsy Network is a worldwide community and it's a whole bunch of people that are affected by epilepsy. Again, you know, patients, parents, even some physicians, as a matter of fact, and uh, they unify to share experiences, information, and all about epilepsy awareness. And we're trying to break stigmas and, you know, uh, share uh, photos, informational photos, and so much more, so much more.
0: Perfect. So if someone wants to check that out, do they just go to your website and become a community member? How does that work?
1: Sure. So we are on, um, all of uh, the social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And we do have a website, uh, theepilepsynetwork.com. And we so just started um, groups within the Facebook groups that people can join in dual groups. Um, So that is a great uh, facet to the advocacy there. But we also share in, uh, informational imagery, uh, throughout Instagram and Facebook and so on and so forth that we really encourage people just to take a look at and, you know, give out to others, even the public so that they can learn.
0: Right. For sure. And I'm sure with, um, October, a big day and October is suit up awareness day. Yes. Um, so I'm right. sure you'll have some resources shared for that. And then November is uh, epilepsy awareness month. So I'm sure. Cannot there'll be, wait for that. <laughs> so I'm sure you'll have some great resources to share from that too. Um, mm-hmm. And then also on Instagram, you have a lot of great informational graphics that people have seen and. Um, so did that did the epilepsy network just organically grow from your blog like did you just decide to create this content because people kept asking you about it like how did you decide to create this community you know I felt
1: compelled you know along with my husband he's a graphic designer so the both of us husband and wife we, you know, came together and we decided that we really wanted to do something because um, I didn't want people to feel alone, like I felt alone. And I wanted them to know that they have a community that they can turn to, to talk to uh, one another and share um, their experiences and ask questions and find unity. And also to learn more about the condition mm-hmm. to become self-aware. Um, so he helped me out. My husband has been my biggest supporter in all of this and helped me to grow the epilepsy network so, the, so amazingly the way it is. I don't think it would be where it is today had it not been for him. Yeah.
0: Husbands are great at encouraging you, especially I when know. you feel like you you know sometimes it gets overwhelming or sometimes it feels like too much you know and they always give you give you that little encouragement encouraging <laughs> nudge like way to go you know you're doing a great job I so, know. yeah it's the same with this you know the podcast and talking to other parents I've I got a cheerleader here too so he always cheers me on
1: all right that is so cool
0: Yeah, some of the stories that you hear um, from other community members kind of just keep you going too, for sure. I think that's important uh, to, yeah, and I think it's important too, because like you said, when we were first diagnosed, I think me and you were the same age because I had a breakthrough seizure in 2006 and I was 22 years old. So we're kind of in the same, same part, you know, part of life, I guess, in our early 20s. But at that time, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know anybody. So I think it's important to uh, pay it forward and share Mm -hmm. with people how, um, you know, when it first happens, like you said, you went through a pretty big um, depressive state. And so and now that you're not, I think it's important to show people that there is the other side of it, of, of being newly diagnosed and that, but, it, but again, it is also okay to feel those feelings. Um, it is, there's a lot of people in the epilepsy community that do have depression that are scared of the next seizure, um, who are, who do have anxiety and mental health, re- um, the epilepsy community is very important um so i think it's awesome that you are sharing these resources for people um to know where to go and then also at the same time we're sharing all these things but we're not experts we're not your doctors so it's important to keep those it's important to keep those lines of communication with your doctors open um, because, yeah, because if you need that extra support, it's totally okay. Um, right. And
1: it's one of those things where it's like, I just want people to know, like, I'm your friend, I'm mm-hmm. here for you. You know, I, like you said, I'm not an expert, but I, you know, my arms are open. I'm here for you.
0: Right. Right. Because back when we were re, you know, diagnosed it, we didn't have anybody. We felt super isolated and, mm-hmm. um, Yeah. So I think that that's, yeah, I think it's awesome what you're doing. Um, and I think that people, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm kind of speechless, but having, I mean, just having the community and the resources available to people who are even just like doing a Google search, like if they might don't even know what the epilepsy network is, you know, um, and they, they Google something and they see your logo that, that you know that you're, it's being paid for. Um, so when you, what, when you have people that reach out to you for support that are newly diagnosed, is there, are there specific things that you tell them um, that you can share with the audience? Like what 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 kind of encouragement do you share with them? You know, I
1: usually like to tell them that, um, I know that you are there, that you've just been diagnosed, but this is not the end of the road. This is, you know, not the end of the book here. This is just, you know, one page. You just turn the page and the book goes on. You, you know, you've got the pen here. <laughs> you keep on writing your book, mm-hmm. you know? And the thing of it is, is that you can still have a fulfilling life Even if you have a chronic illness, Mm -hmm. there's so many things you can still achieve your goals and your dreams. Don't let your chronic illness trick you into thinking that you, the game is over. Right.
0: Right. You might have to pivot just a little bit, but there's no, you know, and do some modifications and accommodations, but you can still make it happen. You can still yeah, you can still do anything that you set your mind to for sure. I told we have you. our limitations, but. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yes. Right. If you want something, you can definitely, you can definitely get it done for sure. Oh goodness. Yes. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience? Oh, you know, I would definitely like
1: to encourage everyone to stop by uh, my blog, which has just been revamped, uh riseaboveepilepsy.com and check out the uh great content that I put out. I'm getting ready to release new content soon, but there's some great content uh that helps to um educate people about my journey, but also encourage and motivate.
0: Awesome. Perfect. So it's rise above epilepsy, mm-hmm. rise above epilepsy.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And again, I, I know you just mentioned your blog, but where can people find you on all social media platforms?
1: Sure. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Tiffany Caros. You can find me on Twitter also at Tiffany Caros. And you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on the Rise Above Epilepsy Facebook page. Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening. As always, I know that you have literally hundreds of shows that you can listen to. So I 100% appreciate every single listen, every single one of you. You can find me at Jamie Wissinger on all social media platforms. And I will see you next week.